Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Good morning and welcome to Exceptional Women on Magic 106.7. I'm Kendra Petroni and today we're talking with Adrian Worthington, the Director of Nutrition Programs at the Greater Boston Food Bank. Adrian oversees the nutrition value in the food provided by the food bank and she manages the food bank's online recipe database as well as the blog Click and Cook. March is National Nutrition Month and to shed light on some food insecurity in Massachusetts, the Greater Boston Food Bank launched a fundraising campaign called Spring to Meals to support their efforts to build sustained access to nutritious food. We're so excited to have Adrian on the show this morning. Good morning, Adrian. Welcome. Hi, good morning. Thank you for having me. Oh, thank you for being with us. So tell us a little bit about yourself and how you made your way to a great organization like the Greater Boston Food Bank. Well, let's see. So I'm, I'm actually a native Arizonan, and I oh, moved wow. to the Boston area about 20 years ago. I had gone to culinary school, and I'd worked in a bunch of kitchens, and I decided to move to Boston for a really big change of pace. And after being here for a little less than a year, I decided, you know, I'm really interested in nutrition. So I ended up going back to school and going to Simmons College and getting my degree in nutrition and becoming a registered dietitian in that path. And I've worked in a clinical setting in a hospital like a lot of dietitians do. I've worked in food service. But I was really, really interested in working somewhere that could be much more proactive in helping people prevent disease or help them to mitigate things that are already happening to them. So that's when I decided to go into the role of community nutrition. And when the job opened for the food bank 12 years ago, I went for it and I'm still here. So when you started working with the Greater Boston Food Bank, what was the situation with regard to having healthy food available? Was it something that you had to work hard to improve? Well, I was very fortunate in that when I came in, the leadership in the organization had already had nutrition on the mind. So I was not the first dietitian that they had hired. And they had already been doing nutrition analysis of the types of foods or all of the foods that had been coming into the building. But there was no set standard or protocol or policy in terms of decision making as to what we would purchase and how we would make those decisions. So that's something that I really started to work into the mix of the food bank and build that into the fabric. And eventually I was able to build a formalized nutrition policy that we put into place about five years ago, which guides all of our uh, acquisition and procurement decision-making. The Greater Boston Food Bank supplies 
nearly 600 food pantries, soup kitchens, and other meal programs in eastern Massachusetts. And for those that don't realize it, one in 10 people are at risk for hunger. Can you talk a little bit about the people that you serve? Because it's not the typical image that most people may have in their mind. And we talked about this a lot throughout the pandemic. It's your neighbors. It's middle working class families. You know, it's not what you would picture it in your mind. It's a lot of people, right? Mm -hmm. Yes, it is. It really is. And so... I think something that's really important that people remember is that food insecurity is invisible. You can't tell by looking at somebody or by living next to somebody or by working with somebody if they know where their next meal is going to come from. And it's really important that we recognize that a lot of the folks that are utilizing the charitable food system who are accessing food pantries and federal food programs, most of them are working. Most people are working a lot of hours, but are still having a hard time making ends meet. Even for my family, we have both people working full time. I mean, we still have to budget when it comes to food, especially, you know, when buying produce or anything that's considered healthy. I was always told you shop around the supermarket. You know, that's where the good stuff is. But if my family is struggling financially with food purchases, how do people that, you know, are living on a fixed income or maybe single parent families, how do they manage this? Oh, there are so many different ways that people can approach this. And you bring up a really good point. I mean, food's expensive. We live in a very expensive area in terms of food and rent and utilities. And everybody, again, has a different approach to this. But overall, it's exhausting. It's a lot of thought put into accessing food and building that gap between somebody's food budget and what they're actually able to acquire. Right. It takes a lot of time and it takes a lot of energy. So talk a little bit of more, little more about your plan to make the nutritional food available and accessible within the food bank and within the communities. Talk a little bit more in depth about that if you can. Sure. So one of the things that we do, aside from having the nutrition policy in place, and we do run a nutrition analysis on every single item that comes into the food bank, and it's uh, guided through a traffic light labeling system called Supporting Wellness at Pantries. And it looks at the saturated fat, the added sugars, and the sodium content of all of the foods coming in. And based off of whatever product type it is, whether it's protein or produce or even dairy, it will get a traffic light label. So it'll either be a green, a yellow, or a red. And green and yellow are both considered healthful foods. And that information is put onto our partner agency ordering platform, which is called Shop GBFB, where all of our agencies, those 600 agencies that you had mentioned, go online and place an order for the food to bring back to serve to their clients. And they can make that choice as to whether they want to choose a green, a yellow, or a red food at that point of ordering. Now, we, we, don't, we don't force people to do anything. It, it's not a requirement, but we've seen that there's a lot of really good benefit to having that information in front of somebody. And sure. it's been really useful to make sure that the people who are ordering the food and are providing the food directly to the client are able to make that healthier choice when they're making that food decision. I would like something like that just when I go to the supermarket. Like It's almost like a, a coded message, like buy this, you should be buying this, don't buy that. I mean, that's a great idea. Yeah, Hannaford Supermarkets, actually, they were the first ones to implement a system like this. It was called the Guiding Stars. And so it was like one, two, or three stars, and it was by each food item. And so that has been, you know, it's kind of piloting across other supermarket chains, but we have yet to see it really take a hold. That's a great idea. I would love that. I mean, I'm always looking for even my children. I have three young children under the age of 12, and I struggle to find 
healthy foods for them. And again, I'm, you know, I work full time, but we still paycheck to paycheck and I still want them to have good nutritional food and try not to break the bank. So I think a system like that is genius. Absolutely genius. You know, not only is March National Nutrition Month, but it's also Women's History Month and the Greater Boston Food Bank really has an outstanding group of women in the roles of president, CEO, COO, CFO, executive vice president of operations, and the senior VP of HR. I mean, how empowering is it for you to see and be able to work alongside such amazing women? It's it's pretty amazing. Actually, when you named off all of those titles, I, ha- I, ha- I don't even think about it because it's just so normal to us every day, but it is, it's really wonderful. So the, the area of dietetics, of nutrition, that field is really, really female-based. There's mostly women in this field. And so I came out of, like I had mentioned before, you know, hospitals and different food service, where a lot of that I'd worked with, with women. And when I moved over into the nonprofit world, I was really surprised and very happy to learn that such a large, impactful nonprofit is being led by women. And yeah. so it was a really nice transition because I was a little nervous about what that was going to be like, but then I thought everybody, everybody's a female. So this is great. Is Boston unique in that? I mean, is the Greater Boston Food Bank, you know, rare to have that, to have so many women in high roles like that? Or do you see that across the nation with other food banks as well? I do see a lot of president and CEOs of food banks are female or are women. Um, I don't know what the percentage is, but there are a lot of women that lead in terms of the president and CEO, but the COO, CFO, all of those other positions, I don't have any data on that. Well, if you're just waking up and tuning in, you're listening to Exceptional Women on Magic 106.7. I'm Kendra Petroni, and we've been talking with Adrienne Worthington. She's the Director of Nutrition Programs at the Greater Boston Food Bank about the Spring for Meals program. March is National Nutrition Month, and to shed light on food insecurity in Massachusetts, the Greater Boston Food Bank has launched this fundraising campaign to support their efforts to build sustained access to nutritious food. Let's get back to our conversation. So let's talk about this campaign, Spring for Meals. The goal is to raise enough money to purchase and distribute 29 million pounds of fruits and vegetables in 2022. Tell us more about the campaign, how it got started, and what your ultimate goal is overall. So this campaign is going to help us unleash the power of fresh produce. (laughs) We believe that access to fresh produce really is critical to nutrition and health, and it's really important that people have consistent access to these foods. Um, there, it's really expensive, as, as you were just mentioning before. I mean, I'm feeling this too. The cost of food has gone up over the last few years, and it is continually going up. And for those of us, you know, have have work full time, may have two incomes, we feel it, but we don't feel it as much as folks who might be struggling to make these ends meet. And so, while produce is important to all of us, it's especially important to the population that the food bank serves because there isn't a lot of access for folks. People might not be able to afford it, or people might not be able to access it as well. There might not be a store or a location in their community that's easy to get to that provides fresh produce, which is why it's so imperative that we work with these partner agencies to help them build their capacity to provide more produce, and that we are able to fundraise so that we can purchase more produce to go into the system. So any donation made will be matched to help provide twice as much fresh, healthy food for our neighbors in need. So what's the best way for people to donate? Is it online? And I know the website is gbfb.org. Do do you accept walk-in food donations? I know there was sort of a pause during the pandemic, or is it more of a monetary donation that is preferred? 
The best way to donate is through the GBFB website. If you go there, there is a you'll land, the landing page will be Spring for Meals, so you really can't miss it. But there's another link at the top called Get Involved, and there's several different ways that you can get involved through, with the food bank and to help and to help shore up our, our services. Um, we don't accept walk-in donations anymore. We did stop that during the pandemic, but. Money does really go a lot farther in our organization because we have such huge purchasing power. So if you've ever if you've ever seen the food bank, uh, if you've ever driven south on I-93, we're mm-hmm. right after you exit the tunnel. If you look right, there's the food it's bank. Yeah. It's a huge organization. Yeah. It's massive, and we're purchasing these products in truck quantities. So multiple pallets of food inside a big tractor trailer of a semi truck. And so if you've ever been in a BJ's or or a Costco and you see those pallets of food and there's cases. We're buying that entire pallet of food. And so $1 can go a lot further because we're able to buy in such quantities. And so while we really deeply appreciated all of the the food drives and all of the donations that were coming into our door, the more impactful effort really does come from monetary donation. Can you talk a little bit about some of the programs and the different ways that people can help in the community? I know you mentioned it briefly, but there are programs like peer-to-peer fundraisers. You People can host a food drive or they can even become a sponsor. Could you talk just a little bit more about each of those for people that are listening if they want to get a little more involved? Sure, absolutely. So there are a lot of different ways to get involved, like you said. There, you can come volunteer for the food bank. There's individual volunteering. There's group volunteering. You can volunteer with, at your team. You can volunteer with your workforce. There's a lot of different opportunities to come in and help us pack foods for families. There is a peer-to-peer fundraising opportunity where you can create either a single page that, you know, I'm Adrian and I'm raising money for the food bank, sending out a link. You can create a group of people. So Kendra, you and I can get together and create our own group. Maybe call it March Madness and, you know, fundraise using that link. And you can personalize that page. And there's a lot of opportunity there to share it out. You can also, there's a ticker so you can see like where you are and in comparison to other teams. It's actually, it's a little competitive, but it's a friendly competition. You can also, every donation that's coming through in the Spring for Meals campaign is going to be matched. We are partnering with Delta Airlines and McDermott, Will, and Emory. They're going to match all gifts up to $100,000 during the month of March. So if you donate during the month of March to this campaign, your gift will be matched. So it's going to be double the effort for just one single click on your behalf. That's great. I I love this. I mean, you've made it very easy for most people listening if they want to get involved. There's so many different avenues that people can take. But if someone's listening and they need access to a food bank, how do they find a location near them? And what's what's the process of being able to accept food if you believe you're a family or you're somebody that, that is going through food insecurity right now? So the best way to find any agency, which and an agency is like a food pantry or a meals program. So a food pantry is like a, a small store where you get, you know, retail pack items, just like in the store. And a meals program is where you can go and receive a meal. And if you go to the GBFB website, there is a link near the top that says need food. And if you click on that link, a map will pop up where you can add your zip code. And when you hit enter, the agencies that are within that zip code or near that zip code will pop up and you can see them on the map. And you can click on each one and learn their name, their location, their hours of operation, if there's any specific hours that are for people who are immunocompromised or seniors. 
And we're actively building that out with more information so we can provide more detail about each agency so that people can make a choice as to which one would work best for them. And one of the parts of the membership agreement that we have with all of our partner agencies is that we ask them to serve anybody that comes to their door. So if you do need assistance and you do go to an agency and a food bank partner will serve you, will help you, will provide food to you. So they don't ask for ID. There's no income requirement. It is available to anybody in the community. What's your hope for solving the hunger crisis, not just in Massachusetts, but as a country? I mean, how do we fix it? What, what, what can we do? That's a million-dollar question, Kendra. I know. <laughs> so food insecurity does not exist in isolation. It is a, it's a symptom of a really complex intersectionality of factors that, like race, class, gender, and so much more. And while the charitable food system has really been exemplary at alleviating this symptom, the long-term solutions really do need to include policies in social justice and social and health inequalities to really chip away at the root causes of this problem. I'm sure there are more communities, there are specific communities, I guess I should say, that that have less access to nutritional food than others. And is that done on purpose? I mean, I guess that's my question. I think that kind of ties into what you're saying. You know, we should have policies in place to sort of prevent this from happening. But do you think there was a, there's a reason why certain areas were able to have access versus others? There, there's a lot of data that you can find that speaks to how neighborhoods were built and how neighborhoods were planned out and what that looks like. Um, some neighborhoods were built without it, the ability to have a, 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 a grocery store, but not just a grocery store, some sort of retail operation. And right. so if there's no retail operation that can be zoned in that community, there can't be a grocery store in that community. And these, this, is, this is before you and I existed. This has right. been going on right. for quite some time. So there are neighborhoods that are considered food deserts, which means people have, in an urban setting, it means that it's more than one mile to get to a grocery store that has enough types of food to have a healthful diet, which includes, you know, produce and the protein and dairy and, and all of the stuff that you would need, like whole grains for a healthy, healthful diet. In a rural setting, it's more than 10 miles. And so there's the food desert piece, but then there's also what is called a food swamp, which means that people have a lot of access to fast food, um, inexpensive foods, like low nutrient density, but high caloric density foods readily available to them. And so there's food around them, but it's not necessarily healthful or nutrient dense or nutritious. And so there's a lot of conversation right now about urban planning and policies and how to change policy for future urban planning to make sure that people have equitable access to these resources that we need to live healthy lives. Adrian, what drives you every morning to do your job? What is it that motivates you? Is there someone or something that gets you every day to think, wow, I love doing this or, or that motivates you to do your job? You know, to be honest, I see uh, my training in nutrition and even my culinary training as well as being tools that I like to, the way that, what motivates me is using the tools that I have in a service to help other people. I feel like it's my responsibility to use what I have to help people in my community. And I mean, it's not, it's not glamorous work, don't get me wrong, but I think it's really, really important 
to me to recognize that the work that I do and the work that my team does every single day is impacting people on a much broader level. Even though we're not, a lot of us aren't working directly with clients one-on-one, we're really, what we're doing with the food bank is making sure that nutrition and SNAP also both have a really far reach in our area. Well, it's not glamorous work, but it's necessary work and it's amazing work. So, I mean, I appreciate that you're doing it day in and day out because we need you. You know, we need you. And for those that are listening again, the website is gbfb.org. Adrian, it's been such a pleasure to have you on the show today. I think it's really important. You know, nutrition is something we learned a lot about. And food insecurity is something we, all of us, learned more about, especially throughout the last two years. It opened our eyes to, to a lot that's been going on and a lot that you've already been aware of, you know, for the 12 years you've been working with the Greater Boston Food Bank. So thank you for your work, continued success in helping this community. And for those of you that want to help donate or contribute to the Spring for Meals, gbfb.org. We'll put a link up on our website as well. Adrian Worthington, thank you for being on the show today. We really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Thank you to Adrian Worthington for being in the spotlight today on Exceptional Women. We talk with celebrities and CEOs, but we're also interested in talking with your neighbors, coworkers, and friends who are quietly making an impact in their communities. Go to magic1067.com and email us if you know someone you'd like to recommend to be featured on our show. And you can follow us on Instagram at sue.tab and at Kendra the Entertainer. We love hearing from you and be sure to join us every Sunday morning for another edition of Exceptional Women. Have a great day, everyone. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. 
It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one... They're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Hey, 